Hey, good morning again, and uh, I want to uh, welcome back Mr. Jeff Brown. Jeff just got back from serving. <laughs> Jeff, thank you for, uh, for serving us and our country, and uh, we are most definitely glad to have you back. He, uh, Beth and I were talking this week. You got in yesterday, right? So flying into Louisville on Derby Day, the wettest Derby Day ever. So I'm sure it was super easy navigating all that yesterday. A lot of fun. But uh, we're definitely glad that you're back. And uh, hey, listen, if this guy can be back on his first day in the States, there go your excuses, right? I love it. I love it. So Jeff, thanks for being here this morning, man. Um, I can't imagine what it was like for you guys uh, to figure out a new flow of life with Jeff being gone. Um, We all have been through seasons where things in our life are changing and ebbing and flowing, and uh, we're talking a little bit about that in this series that we're calling Clarity in the Craziness, and we're, we're following Jesus and his disciples, and, and Jesus is trying to train his disciples up, get them ready for everything that's coming, and uh, we're going to be in Mark 4, beginning in verse 35 today. So uh, one of the ways that I see this happening at my house is uh, with the morning routine, right? So uh, how many of y'all in here are single or... Um, married without children, or the children are all out of the house. There's, a, there's, there's some of us, right? Don't be afraid to raise your hands. It's okay. It's a, there's no, nothing wrong with that. So I am very envious of your morning routines. <laughs> very envious of your morning routines. Um, and uh, with each kid that you add, so I'm learning, your morning routine has to be readjusted and changed. And I think, uh, um, without really speaking this, we've gotten ours to five things that we need our kids to start checking the box on before we get them out the door, right? So they got to have clothes on, and that's an important box. It's an important box that sometimes can get left out, uh, like all articles of clothing, Preston. Um, <clears throat> so you got you to check the clothes box. That's the first one. And then once we get clothes on, we're like, have you brushed your teeth? That one stays pretty high on our list because Caitlin's a dental hygienist, right? So they got to go downstairs and brush their teeth. Uh, and then it's hair. So uh, I came from a family of all boys. Girl hair is like this foreign thing to me. I, I can't even do like the vacuum thing that we saw on YouTube where like the, the dad sucks the girl's hair up. Like I just can't do it. So you got to do hair. Preston sometimes looks, you know, calic major. He just goes to school. Hair. Uh, poor Preston. He's like the, you know, like me and him, we're, we're guying it out at the lawyer house right now. Uh, that's number three. Number four is backpacks. We're like, you got your backpack? Have you cleaned out your folder? Right? So we're, we're getting backpacks. And then they got to check breakfast. And um, we just kind of naturally built that routine into our morning. Uh, there's, there's not much of Jesus in that morning routine for our kids. But, you know, it, it's, it's survival of the fittest in some ways. But when something happens that interrupts the flow of that routine, of those five things, watch out. Watch out, right? Some of you are chuckling because you've been there. It's like, all of a sudden, the toothbrush is in the wrong drawer, and you can't do anything else because the toothbrush was on the left instead of the right. You never know what it is, but when something happens that interrupts that flow, it's like everything else freezes, right? Nothing stays the same. And um, I think uh, as we talk about this idea of, of really following Jesus, of trying to find clarity in the midst of our crazy lives, I think this happens to us a lot in our faith journeys, Right? It's like we know what, it, what we're supposed to do in following Christ. We, we come to church, we, we hear people saying, you got to seek the Lord, you got to get in your Bible, you got to read the Word, and we know these things. And yet when something happens in our life 
that interrupts the flow of what that's supposed to be, which is like, I don't know, every day, we freeze, right? And our spiritual life freezes right along with it. It's like everything just comes to a stop, and we're not exactly sure what we're supposed to do with that. It's a problem that we face, and I think as we uh, study this passage this morning, just kind of walk through it, um, maybe a familiar passage for some of you, I think we're going to see that really when that happens, the goal, the idea is just to, with Jesus, get to the other side. Just get to the other side. Mark 4, beginning in verse 35. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. Right? So we got three verses where all of these things are being stacked against the disciples. They're really learning what they're up against. And, and there's so much here that we need to think about and consider for the disciples' lives that applies to, to our own. So, so Jesus starts and, and he says, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. You think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, that, this is a huge deal. This is a huge move. So Jesus and his disciples, they'd been ministering. And, and they were getting ready to, to walk away from crowds of people. They were leaving crowds of people who had formed around them, and, and they were crowds of people that were like them, right? They were in Galilee. This was the fishermen. This was, this was their homeboys. This were the, these were guys that were easy to walk up and put their arms around them and say, let me introduce you to my friend Jesus. But when they cross over to the other side of the sea, it's a whole new world. People who aren't like them people who they call Gentiles. And so when they move across the sea, they are working against a lifetime of prejudices that are built up in them that that said that these people, quote-unquote, were dirty, unworthy, that they were less than. They were more a bother than a future brother in Christ. It was maybe very difficult for the disciples to imagine what it was going to be like on the other side of the sea. And yet Jesus, who they had dedicated their lives to and said, yes, I will follow you, says, let's go. Let's go over to the other side of the sea. And then it says, they left the crowd. They left the crowd. This is an amazing ability to step away from crowds of people. Imagine if you were one of those disciples You've been with Jesus as this crowd of people has, has gathered together. And with that crowd of people has come people of influence, people of power. The people are looking to you for guidance and direction. And these disciples were leaders in that movement. And by result of that, they had influence in their lives. They had power to maybe make huge changes. And they walk away from all of that. One commentary said many people can collect a crowd. But few can collect themselves by leaving the crowd. This is a difficult thing that they were doing. They were not only facing their fears and going over to the other side of the sea, but they were leaving a crowd of people. And even though they had done all of those things in obedience and they'd gotten to the boat and they're, they're going across to the other side, a great windstorm arose. 
You know, it's precisely at these moments, right, where, where Jesus is moving us, where he's calling us. Maybe like Lauren, we know we're in a dry season and, and we feel the Lord asking us to seek him, to press back into our relationship, to figure out where we stand. It's in those moments where we say, okay, I'm going to do it, that the great windstorms come up. It's like as if moving wasn't enough, you have to move on a rainy, stormy day. Can you imagine if you had to move yesterday? It wouldn't have been fun. And so these disciples, they are up against, they are up against it, right? All of a sudden, this story isn't just a simple thing where Jesus stands up in a boat and, and calms the storm. Like, there's a lot of emotions that are built into this, this whole scene where the disciples are giving up a lot, they're being obedient, and still, even in the midst of their obedience, this great storm comes. You know, the Sea of Galilee, geographically, it's, it's surrounded by all kinds of barriers, mountains and high points. And so the Sea of Galilee is like in a valley. And it wasn't uncommon for uh, storms to form in this, uh, in this area, right? It's, it's kind of like when you try to protect yourself and build up things to, to protect yourself from a storm, and then the storm gets inside of that, it's going to destroy everything in its midst. I want us to think about our lives for just a minute and what we might be up against when it comes to the storms of life. How hard have we worked to build things up around us that provide for us what we think will be security and safety and protection against the storms of life? We build those things up and we're, we're living inside of them and we think we're safe. And then when the storm comes and it gets inside of those barriers, it really wreaks havoc, right? It feels unbearable when we're facing the storms of life. We're not exactly sure what to do with it. See, in many ways, just like the disciples were up against a terrible storm because of the barriers of the mountains around them, so too are many of us in the midst of great storms because of the barriers that we have built up around our spiritual lives. So what do we do? What do we do? Jesus says it in verse 35, right? Cross over to the other side of the sea. We've got to cross over to the other side of the sea. I want to show you a picture. Um, <clears throat> this is me back in the day. Uh, anybody recognize where that is? Gorge Natural Bridge, right? Right, look at this. People know their Kentucky geography. Perfect. So this picture, uh, I love this picture, uh, but this picture has a great story behind it. So, um, and hopefully you haven't heard me tell this story before because I like it. Uh, Caitlin and I um, had decided to go to uh, hike at the gorge uh, with my brother and, and his then fiance, and um, I was going to get us to the gorge, and Caitlin was going to get us through the gorge, okay? Makes sense. We were young, and so I, I was like, I'll figure out how to get there. She had a friend who worked here, and I was like, all you got to do is figure out which trail we're going to walk on to get up to the gorge, because we'd never been there. So we get there, and I pull in, I'm like, where am I going? I think you're turning right here. So we turn, we're driving, we're looking, we're trying to find a trailhead. And she's like, yeah, 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 I think this is it. I think this is it. So we park, we get out of the car, and we start on this trailhead. It was not the one-mile nice little jog up to the Natural Bridge trailhead. But we did not know that, right? So it's like 1130 in the day. Um, we haven't eaten anything. And we start off on this trail 
and it keeps going and going and going and going. And I'm like, Caitlin, where are we? <laughs> She's like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, great. Here we are. We have no food. We're not prepared. Like, we're in flip-flops or whatever. You know, like, we, we were not like hikers. We were just trying to go look at the natural bridge with my brother and his girlfriend. So, so like, I pull out my phone. I'm trying to figure out, and we have no service. We have no service, right? And so I, I tell this story because I think many times it's like we're just trying to get to the natural bridge. We're just trying to, to go where Jesus is going. We're just trying to get to the other side. But it's really difficult for us. You see, being a Christian is, is not about getting to a destination. The story isn't in us getting to the natural bridge into this picture. The story is in the direction. It's, it's in the, the getting there that makes the story, right? Being a Christian is not about getting to a destination. It's about moving in a direction towards Christ. There, is, there isn't and there never will be a time in your life where you have it all figured out. There isn't a time where Jesus is going to say, hey, you, you got this, man. You're good to go. Right? But many times in our head, that that's what we portray as our Christian walk, that, man, I just wish everything would get there and that it would be the same and that everything would be okay. Maybe the disciples felt that way too. It's like, Jesus, we had a bunch of crowds. That, like, the crowds of people were over here on the other side of the lake. Like, why are we going to keep moving? Because our faith is a directional faith. But the truth is, wait, we can't get to the other side by ourselves, right? We can't get to the other side of the lake. We can't get to the other side of this storm. We can't get to the other side of whatever we're up against by ourselves. We couldn't even get to the natural bridge by ourselves. So, I'm a pretty tall guy. We walked to the tallest place we could see. We looked for a place that had no tree cover, and I literally <laughs> looked up on my phone like this. We had one dot, and we found a map, right? And we looked up, and we're like, okay, I think if we take two rights and a left, we're going to end up at the natural bridge. And we made it by the grace of God. We got this picture. It was awesome. So, what did the disciples do? to get to the other side. They're stuck in the middle of this storm. What did they do? Verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? I feel a little bit like the disciples when I'm standing in, in the middle of the forest, right, with my phone trying to find the direction. They wake Jesus up. They wake Jesus up. And so too should we. When we don't know what to do in the storms of life, when we feel stuck, when we're not sure how we're going to get to the other side, when we're not sure how we're going to get to tomorrow, we have to wake up Christ. There is no alternative. There's no self-help book. There's no wisdom in the ways of man. There's no class. There's no effort that you can make. There isn't a better strategy for living life. There is only the power of Christ rising in you, being awakened in you. That is the only thing that is going to get you through the trials and storms of this life. That's it, waking Christ up. There's another story in the Bible that in many ways parallels this story of Jesus sleeping in the boat. And 
maybe in the ways that we would, they try a whole lot of other things to right the ship and to, to calm the storm. It's the story of Jonah. Jonah was walking away from what the Lord was calling him to do, and a, and a storm comes. And we read this in Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. It says, But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. So the captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. You see, they tried all kinds of other things to, to survive, to get to the next thing, to get across to the other side. But all of them were failing because they were not waking up the God who created them and made them for something more. Why do trials exist, right? See, we think about these two stories, and, and many people, we, we have the idea that storms come to our lives only when we have disobeyed God. Well, this is happening, and so I'm, I'm not sure what I did, but I must have done something wrong. But this isn't always the case. Jonah ended up in a storm because of his disobedience, yes. But the disciples, they were in this storm because of their obedience to the Lord. They had gotten into the boat. They were going to the other side. They had said yes to joining Jesus on the outside. You see, trials are not a result of our obedience or our disobedience, but rather they occur to increase our faith. For us to press into Christ, for us to wake up Christ in our lives. See, what trials do is trials teach us that we are unable. We are unable to, to walk towards the poor or the broken or the addicted we're unable to walk towards those not like us with a pure heart without Christ. We are unable to, to walk away from the crowd, right? To walk away from success and popularity, to live life differently, to stop keeping up with the Jones family. We are unable to do those things without Christ. We are unable to, to silence the storms of life and to achieve an inner peace, right? We can't do that on our own. We can't do it through a vacation, through a meditation technique, or a self-help book. We are unable without Christ. But there was one. There was one in the boat who could get them to the other side. Jesus. And they woke him up. Verse 39. It says, he got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I love these two little verses. And there's a series of things that I think we see about Christ and about the gospel working in our lives that we can take with us and hold on to when the storms of life hit. Number one is that Christ will stand for you. It says he got up, right? Christ could have, Christ could have gotten to the, to the other side without standing up. But he gets up from his sleep and he stands up and he stands with them. If the disciples were going to get to the other side, they needed Jesus with them, not just there in the boat, but they needed him with them. They had to wake him up and know that he was going to stand by their side as they got through the storm and to the other side. But Jesus didn't just stand up for his disciples when called upon. When many who were sick came to him with requests for healing, he stood with them. He honored their requests. When children clamored for his attention, he made sure that they weren't kept from him. Jesus stood up for women like no man in human history. 
He interacted with the woman at the well. He stood over the woman caught in adultery as the people ready to stone her and, and so many more instances. Jesus even stood for the worst of sinners when he watched a convicted criminal named Barabbas walk out to his freedom shortly before his own wrongful death. You see, Jesus stands for you. He gets up with you in the middle of the storm. Jesus didn't just stand for these 12 guys he liked. He stood for all whom he created, and that includes you. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 and 4 says, Strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees, say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. The Lord will stand with you. He will stand for you. No matter how worthless you might feel, no matter how unappreciated you might be, no matter how weak you may feel like you are, Jesus stands for you because you were created in his image. But Jesus will also silence the storms, right? He gets up, he rebukes the wind, and he says to the sea, silence, be still. You know, in this life you might have difficulty, but you won't have despair. I love that Jesus knows just what you and I need to take our next steps towards him. Jesus knows how to disciple you better than any human being ever will, right? Like, there is no lesson, no person, no mentor. There is no person on this earth who can disciple you better than Jesus Christ himself. In John chapter 11, Jesus learns that Mary and Martha are facing the storm of sickness in their brother Lazarus. They think he's going to die. And in fact, Jesus doesn't get to them before Lazarus dies. Can you imagine the difficulty of that moment? Can you imagine knowing that your brother is going to die? Does it ever seem like there is not a way forward in your own life? In Christ, you might have difficulty, but you won't have despair. And in fact, in this story, Jesus comes. He, he weeps with them. He stands with them and for them. And then he calls on the Father to raise Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus walks out of his tomb. Isaiah 54.10 reminds us of the truth. It says, though the mountains move and the hills shake, in other words, and though, though all this stuff around you is changing and moving and it's crazy, my love will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate Lord. Jesus silences the storms in your life. You too will face a ton of junk, a ton of difficulty. And he doesn't always eliminate the difficulties of the storm. He just silences them long enough to speak truth to you. And that's the last thing that we see Jesus doing in this passage. He rebukes the wind. He, he calms the sea. And then he turns to his disciples and he asks them a question. He asks them a question. I love Elijah's encounter with the Lord in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah is literally hiding in a cave, right? You may remember the story, and if you don't, it's okay. But, but Elijah, he calls down fire on the idols, right? And, and, and fire happens, and the Lord is moving, and, and then he runs. He's, he's scared. He runs away, and he's hiding in a cave, not sure what to do next. And God shows up in a huge way. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13 says, Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I love that when Jesus speaks truth to us, he often does it in questions. It's like we have an option, but we don't. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you scared? Why are you hiding in the cave? Why are you not getting to the other side of the sea, right? His question for the disciples is, are you still afraid? Why do you lack faith? He asked Peter later in his ministry, who do you say that I am? Jesus is always asking us these questions that speak truth into our lives because what it does is it calls out inside of us what is true and what is not. And when we realize that the Lord is asking us those things, that's when he begins to mold us and shape us. And so what question is Jesus asking you to speak truth to you? Maybe he's asking you, why are you afraid to take that next step? Why are you, like Lauren talked about, not not setting your alarm clock and getting up a little bit earlier just to, to... press into the Lord? Are you still trying to figure life out on your own? Why are you still trying to figure out life out on your own? Why would you not make it a priority to go and and press into life with other believers so that you can sharpen each other and hear from Him? Why are you not seeking me? Maybe that's what the Lord wants to know from you this morning. What are you doing with your life? Maybe your question is the same that he asked Elijah. What are you doing here? How did you end up here this morning, and why are you here, and what is the Lord going to send you to do here in this place? I love that what we see in this moment is that Jesus stands for us, and he silences our storms, and he speaks truth to us. I want to show you a picture that is just, it's really cool to me. Uh, Anybody got any guesses on what this is? No one knows. That's, it's all right. It's good. This is a glacier in Alaska. All right? Um, so they got these little things, and they take a picture. This picture is probably like a mile by a mile and a half size, okay? Size of a glacier. Glaciers in Alaska are like average around 4,000 feet thick, deep, right? And so then what you have is these little, this little blue thing, right, is called a, a melting pond. This is summertime in northern Alaska. Isn't that awesome? Summertime in northern Alaska, and there's this little melting pond in the middle of this huge glacier. It's blue. So way back at the beginning, right, we talked about how when our flow of life gets interrupted, sometimes we just freeze, and sometimes that happens in our spiritual life. So much stuff is going on that we're frozen in our spiritual journeys. Sometimes we end up like a glacier, right? Like we're miles thick. We don't know how to move forward. We're moving, so, we're moving so slowly. We don't know what to do. And we don't even see a way out. Like if that melting pond wasn't here, it's just a, it's a white screen. Sometimes that's how we feel in the moment in our faith journey with Christ. Everything's just frozen. There's a million reasons why our faith might have frozen over. There's a million things in our schedules that add another layer of ice to the already massive glacier that represents our hearts. What's so cool 
is that when we get into the sun, when we get into the sun, these little pools of water begin to form, melting ponds. Color returns to the picture and to our life. Water begins to flow. Action happens. And those ponds, right, they take on heat faster than the ice. And so now that melting happens even more quickly. And it begins to spread. And we begin to free ourselves up to move with Christ, to actually make it to the other side of the lake. So what are we going to do? We're going to position ourselves in the sun. We have to position ourselves in the sun if we want the things that have become frozen in our spiritual life to begin to free up and for us to be able to move with Christ and move towards Christ and to see him changing our life day in and day out. Only now, when we are in the sun, when we are drawing near to him, can we change. We think about this scene in Mark chapter 4. The disciples get into the boat with a ton of unknowns, but trying to be obedient and just when they think they're doing the right thing, the storm comes, and they have to wake up Jesus, and Jesus wakes up, calms the storms, questions their faith, and we say all that like it's happenstance, but just imagine what it was like to be in that boat, and verse 41 says, and they were terrified. They were terrified, and they asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. The word terrified literally means that they feared a great fear. See, the disciples knew that Jesus, uh, he already had the authority to forgive sins, to cast out demons, to heal diseases. They'd seen him do all of those things. But now they discovered that he even had authority over the wind and over the sea. And this meant that they had no reason ever again to be afraid because their Lord, their Master, their Savior was in constant control over every situation that they would face. If He could control the winds and the waves, He could control anything that they were going to come up against. And the same is true for you. They were terrified of the Lord, which meant they had nothing else to be afraid of. That is amazing. Our fear of God is, is healthy when we are in Christ. Every other force in the universe bows to him. Every enemy of yours is scared of him. Nothing in all of creation can overcome him. There is no death, no sickness, no circumstance that Christ is not able to control. So wake him up in your life. Get yourself into the sun so that you can continue to move and journey with him. You see, in the craziness of our lives, the only place that you will find clarity is when you are moving in the same direction as he is, drawing near to him. People talk about this idea of fearing the Lord, and sometimes it's hard to think about, why would I fear the Lord? Like, the Lord loves me. He is love. Why would I ever fear him? Well, the Lord is also powerful, and, and it's also important to think about what fear means or what it looks like. So a few of you uh, may remember uh, this phrase that came out around UK basketball a few years ago, fear the brow, right? The unibrow of Anthony Davis. Now, there's maybe a little bit of heresy in the meme here, brow down to me. I'm not suggesting that you actually brow down to Anthony Davis, okay? It's a meme. It's funny. But when, when people said fear the brow, right, no one thought I should actually be afraid of Anthony Davis, 
But I want you, if you can, to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's playing basketball against Anthony Davis the first time that you had to try and go up and shoot a layup or shot over Anthony Davis. I found a quick video that may help you to put yourself in those shoes. Check it out. Well, hopefully there's sound. Now, don't take this too far. I'm not suggesting that God shows up and, like, blocks your shots back in your face all the time, okay? <clears throat> but I wonder what it was like for that kid, right? Like, like, you see the look on his face, and this is all, like, edited in drama. I get it, right? But I also want you to think about what it might have been like to be the kid who actually got to shoot that commercial. Anthony Davis is, like, your hero for life, right? You're getting his autograph. He's, like, your, like, he's your man, and I think the same is true of our relationship with God, right? Like when we get close to God, when you say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go all in, I'm going to take that step, I'm going to try to awaken God in my life and, and put myself in position to, to be with the Son. When you get close, you're going to realize He is a big dude. He can swap my shot anytime He wants. He is in control. But He loves me. He loves me. And because of that, I don't have to be afraid of anything else. And when we get close to that kind of power and that kind of might, and when we begin to see him working in our lives, there's something about him that just draws us to him in a way that we could never draw ourselves. You won't change. You won't grow in your faith. You won't feel like you're fed until you desire, and you won't desire it until you recognize the magnitude of the power of Jesus Christ. Let me close with this. Christ community, as the local church, as the bride of Christ, we want to do just this. We want to stand with you as you go to the other side of the lake. God is drawing each of you. He's calling you in. He wants you to be in the sun with him. He wants you to be in the boat moving with him. And so as the church, we just want to be standing with you as you go. We want to be listening for the voice of God with you in the middle of of your storms. We want to speak the truth to you in love and through questions. And personally, as a leader in that, I want to inspire you to figure out where God is calling you to go. I want to listen with you for the voice of God as you walk through the storms of life and to ask questions that push you to the truth of the gospel. I believe that, that God has called me to lead Christ community, not to carry out some huge God-sized vision that he's given me, but to serve you as God calls you to go out to the other side of the lake. That's who he's made me to be. And in doing that, we together as one body, we begin to breathe life into the vision of Christ Community Church to join Jesus outside the gates. And so as we dream together in these last few moments, I ask you, to consider what has God called you to do to reach those far from Christ. Maybe your story is like Lauren's and you're sitting in front or behind someone today that you're like, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm supposed to invest in this person. Can I just get in the boat with you and serve you as you do that? 
Is he calling you to start a community group and start inviting your neighbors who don't know Jesus? Let's just jump on a boat and figure out how to get to the other side of that lake. We can do it together. Is he calling you to adopt children who might not have heard the gospel and raise them in a Christian home? I want to get on the boat with you and just, man, I just want to get to the other side of that lake. I want to help you and serve you and figure out what I can do in those moments with you. Maybe he's calling you to plant a church, a big one, a small one, I don't know, that reaches people who are not walking with Christ. I just want to get in the boat. I just want to be in the boat. I just want to be in the boat with you. I just want to help wake Christ up in you. Maybe he's calling you to start a ministry that, that reaches the widows or the elderly who are bitter about life and closed off to Christ. Like, let's go build a wheelchair ramp together. I don't care. I just want to be in the boat. I just want to get to the other side of the lake with you and with Jesus. What is God calling you to do to reach those who are far from Christ? Because see, when you begin to answer that question, and when you get in the boat with Christ, and when you put yourself in the position of the Son, man, you're going to grow, and you're going to change, and you're going to desire Him in ways that you never thought possible. And you're going to see the power of God manifesting itself in your life and in the life of other people. Let's get in the boat. And let's get to the other side of the lake. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that that your spirit would reign in this moment. That the heat of Christ would be thawing out the layers of ice in our hearts and our minds and our lives. That the things that have been closing us off and, and freezing us out would, uh, would fade away. And that in this, in this place, in this moment, right here, right now, we would say Christ is a priority in my life. He is more powerful than anything that I can do or say or be. And I, I just want to be with him. Father, I know that there are people in this room and in this place that they don't, even, they don't even believe in you yet. They haven't trusted you yet. Father, I pray that you, would, that you would push through to their hearts in this moment right now. That you would give them the courage to say, Father, thank you for sending your son. I trust in Jesus Christ who paid for my sins, who loved me enough to die for me. Father, if those people are here and... and their hearts are pierced, I pray that they would reach out to you just now in this moment and say to you, God, I believe. I trust you. I want to give you my life. I want to get in the boat with you. Jesus, don't let us stand still. Move us towards you and move us towards your mission, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.